Welcome to the Ready Eddie Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to shine the spotlight on our membership program. With it, you can get up to 50% off our brands, discover dozens of new innovative outdoor startups, receive first access to new products, gain access to ambassador programs for over 50 of our startups, and receive first access to purchase demo and trade show gear at 30 to 60% off. Head to readyeddy.com slash members to sign up. Cool. So we can sort of jump into these questions. Um, the first one, um, how did the idea for your business come about, and uh, how did you get started? Well, tarpoles uh, was an idea that I was tinkering with for a while. I knew ski poles really hadn't been innovated for quite some time because I'd been a skier since I was you know, five years old. Um, I'd always had them in my hands, but like everybody else, I never really thought that it was my job, you know, I never took it upon myself to make any change there. Um, one day I was hiking in the Utah backcountry, um, well, I guess what's now between Park City and Canyons Resort, an area called West Monitor, and after about two and a half hours of hiking up there, uh, boot packing, too, I didn't have skins or anything, it was early backcountry days for me, and uh, got to the top and realized my boots didn't fit my binding because I lent those pairs of skis to a friend, and long story short, you know, I, I ended up hiking back down after emptying my pack and trying to find something to adjust my binding. But on the way down, you know, I was exhausted. I was frustrated. I had both my ski poles in my left hand and my skis over my shoulder, my right shoulder. And, uh, you know, I just remember staring at my ski poles like, those ski poles are hollow. I know they're hollow all the way through and through. You know, there's no reason I couldn't put a screwdriver there, you know. And so from there, I started chopping up ski poles and making prototypes, and that's kind of the, the very beginning. That's really awesome. That's a cool story. <laughs> I, I've been, I was there this, this past weekend. I had that issue. I lent a friend of mine a pair of skis and got to the uh, top of the mountain and realized I didn't adjust it. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. one of those things. If you ski all the time, you got six pairs of skis, and yeah. you know, your friends yeah. are – you kind of swap between friends. Like, yeah. I've got two of pairs of skis from two of my buddies now, so – yeah, you just sometimes forget. <laughs> it sucks, but now there's a solution. So yeah, no, that's awesome. Okay, second question: What inspiration did you really have? And I, I, you kind of touched on this, but you know, go a little deeper. You know, to give a little bit of your history, what sort of really inspired the whole idea? Well, you know, so I worked. I like grew up in the skiing community. I was always a skier. I was, like, the biggest fanboy of, you know, Simon Dumont and um, A.P. Auclair and, uh, all, you know, Mike Douglas, uh, all those guys. You know, they were, like, heroes when I was growing up. And so I was always so engaged and enthralled in the skiing community. Uh, you know, I subscribed to every magazine, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I was working at the ski resort when this kind of, this happened to me, and, you know, I was a lift operations supervisor at the Canyons Resort um, before it was, you know, this was seven years ago, this was in Talisker, way before Talisker owned it, 
And uh, basically, you know, I realized that everybody else had the same problem. You know, I had the chest and uh, the radio on my chest and chest pack. And every time somebody had a problem with, they needed a screwdriver, they'd come find me because I had a big Canyons logo on my back and people could tell I was a supervisor. Um, so, like, that was, that was another part of it as well. You know, I, I was day in, day out, just encapsulated by the skiing industry. Um, and I've always been incredibly passionate about skiing. You know, I watched Armada kind of rise up. And uh, I remember when Jason Leventhal started line. And, you know, it was just the whole thing. Uh, I guess I was always inspired by the, the other people, the people that I consider mentors now, you know. And that was kind of one of the things that I thought was cool. I've always been a tinker. You know, I've always built things with my hands. Um, built my first tree house when I was like six, like 20 feet in the tree with hammer and nails. You know, so it, it's just a, always been something that I do. And um, it's really my passion is what made the company come to fruition. Um, you know, because if it was the tech industry, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't pursue it as heavily as, and, and as dedicatedly as I have with charcoal because I just love the skiing community and the industry and the people in it and the products and companies and what they stand for. So you, you touched on this a little bit as well, but a little bit deeper. What, what is your sort of background with skiing? You know, where are you from? What, what, where did you go to school? What did you study? You know, all that sort of jazz. Yeah, so I'm originally from Salt Lake. I grew up downtown, uh, just right by, right by the Capitol. Um, and, yeah, took my first laps at Brighton. Uh, spent the next, you know, all throughout junior high and high school. I was at Alta. Um, I did some snowbird. Um, I mostly did Big Mountain because, you know, this was kind of during the time that being free skiing really wasn't what it is today yet. Um, so me and my buddies would go build giant kickers at Alta and, you know, throw our cork nines and sometimes we would land them and we'd be so stoked. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my background with skiing. I've always ridden fast skis. I love powder. Um, I do a lot of tel telemark skiing now. Um, okay. Like a lot. I'm mostly telemark and I'm kind of known for riding through the park on tellies. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how you're going to do that. <laughs> well, you know, it's the only way I can I can be cool in the park these days. Um, <laughs> but no, I I used to do a lot of freestyle. You know, um, we were kind of throwing cork nines around the same time that um, you know a lot of the pros were throwing cork tens, and so it was like, holy crap, we might go pro, and then we all grew up. So um, that was yeah, that was. Kind of my background in skiing, I suppose. That's awesome. Yeah, when, when, did you go to school in Utah? I did, yeah. So I went to the, um, I went to high school at West High, um, really diverse school. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way. And then I, I actually, I still attend the University of Utah, and I also uh, co-teach some entrepreneurship and strategy classes there. I and I TA an intellectual intellectual property class. So oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yep. I actually, uh, I, I took a semester at Westminster. Um, two years ago? Uh, almost two years. Uh, three years ago. Damn, time flies. Oh, sweet. Uh, Westminster. Yeah, dude, I did. Cool, man. Yeah, dude, I, went, I did the winter at Westminster program. I'm not sure if you, you know that. But it's basically like uh -huh. a study abroad alternative. And I really wish I would, went there for my four years. <laughs> really, <laughs> really made me realize how much of a mistake I made. <laughs> there are a but, lot of uh, years at Westminster, yeah. Dude. Dude, they, uh, some of the best <laughs> years I've ever seen. 
uh, one of my best friends is uh, was on the Austrian national team for like three years, and they came uh-huh. to Utah to ski for their team. And I'm telling you, this kid, this kid could ski. I've never skied with someone who skied so hard in my life. You know, like <laughs> Europeans, especially Austrians, yeah. like skiing is like football to us, to them. You know what I mean? Like they just it's like the, it, it is their, their national sport. It like literally it is. is their national sport. Yeah. You know, I, he I, he carves on everything. You know what I mean? Like there'll be like three feet of powder, and he'll just like it's like a groomer. You know what I mean? Like he'll just charge so hard, and it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy, but it's so much fun to game with people like that. Definitely. Um, okay, I mean, some, something next, else too with Westminster. You kind of reminded me of something. Um, but yeah, so when after I kind of had the idea in the first prototypes for charcoals, you know, I started an Instagram account because I wanted to figure out if the skiing community would be stoked on, you know, multifunctional poles. And so, you know, just through kind of running that and posting some pictures of renderings, you know, we got basically all the feedback we needed to take our first trip to the Snow Sports Industry America trade show in Denver. Right, yeah. That's North America's largest show. And then at that show, we won, uh, we got, we were selected for the wish list by the SIA so that's 220 companies and over 10,000 products, and they pick five, and we were chosen for that. Um, and then, you know, Skiing Magazine, three skier mag. we got the Skiing Magazine Hot Gear of the Year Award, and we got um, three skier gave us, what was it, Innovative and Creative Gear of the Year or something like that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's definitely some awesome validation. Yeah, well, and this is, you know, this is pre-production. We literally hadn't. Produced, and we've made parts like prototypes, but nothing that we could put on a shelf and sell. Um, and so, yeah, you know, from there it was uh, it was really like go time. It's like holy shit, we didn't expect the industry to respond like this. Now it's time to make it. And then uh, did some did a couple of years trying to work with a supplier in China. And you know, now you know where I'm at. We're bringing it back. We're making it 100 uh, percent here in Salt Lake City, Utah, with 100 percent U.S. raw materials. Truly a 100%, you know, U.S. made, assembled, and produced product. That's really awesome. Uh, what what yeah. made you guys decide to bring it back from overseas? Well, you know, I was actually at, at ISPO um, in Munich, Germany, just a couple months ago. I it's crazy; it's already a couple months ago. But um, yeah, we I had a I ran into a guy named Alan Trimble, who was the head of R and D for you know Jardin, and he's done a lot of contract work for like literally every other company in the industry. Um, he introduced me to the CEO of K2, and you know, in a nutshell, those guys just kind of convinced me that there are really, really easy and great ways that I could approach my problem in a whole different way. You know, instead of trying to work with China, China not working with us, you know, we just take the control back and, and have 100% control, do it in-house. So That's awesome. Um, yeah. Next question. What would you say um, is sort of what drives your organization? Well, you know, it's honestly, it's it's like a creative passion uh, that keeps us going here. Um, you know, a, a thrill for innovation, doing something different. You know, we really, really try to stay outside the mold um, when it comes to what we do. We know that a lot of companies, a lot of the big companies even, are, are you know, trying to integrate some features that, you know, they, they pulled off of ideas that we had and whatnot. Um, and so we're just constantly looking to stay ahead of the competition as far as innovation, you know, functionality, um, and all that stuff goes. Because 
we're really one of five steeple manufacturers in the world that do exactly what we do. Um, oh, that's and that's, cool. Yeah, you know, there's uh, every other ski company, you know, Forefront, O3P, literally all of them. They're buying their poles OEM from somebody like Comperdell or uh, Leaky or, you know, Fat Can Poles, I think, or something like that. So, yeah. No, you know, the ski companies don't make their own poles. They, they kind of just buy them from somebody that does make them. So that's a new a new thing that we're doing right now. I'm actually working with a couple of ski companies here, big ones that uh, I'm not allowed to say their names, but... Yeah, we'll be, we'll be making some sweet holes for a couple of really progressive ski companies this year. That's really awesome. Um, you've also touched on this a little bit, but how did you develop your product? You know, what testing went into it? Um, you know, how many iterations, prototypes did you guys go through before you were real comfortable with the product <laughs> you guys created? Uh, well, yeah, that's a tough question to answer. Because um, in all honesty, we prototype until it's solid, you know? And so that, for one product, that could be three iterations. For another product, that could be, a hundred, um, and we have done a hundred iterations on a couple products. So, you know, it's uh, I say that in all reality. What would you say some of like the like iterations are that you would change? You know, you know, you would make a prototype or whatever, take it to testing. Like, what are some of the things you would realize that needed to be sort of tweaked? Well, certain things like ergonomics. Um, you know, the way that the feature works. It's one thing to design. A pro- we do all of our own product design in house as well. It's one thing to design a product in a computer. Um, when you kind of print, 3D print it or begin to make a very refined prototype, there are a lot of refinements that need to be made. Um, and they're usually things that you want to do after, after you've already got it in your hands because you just would not realize them otherwise. You know, it's kind of part of the design, product design cycle, I suppose. Some of the things that, you know, that I, we change are manufacturing related. So, you know, oh, make this one tweak. We can make it three times as fast, you know, or, Weight is always a thing with ski poles, so, yeah, we're always looking to minimize that. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, materials even, you know, now that we're shooting our own plastics, um, you know, we we're working with a very large plastic supplier and just trying to fine-tune. You know, there's a couple ways you can innovate. There's, you know, function, uh, function or design, um, and then also materials, and then purpose. So, you know, a lot of things in this day and age, have already been created. So repurposing something is a whole, you know, a whole realm of innovation. For sure. That's awesome. Um, what is something unique that no one knows about you, um, one of your products, or your business? <laughs> uh, let's see. That's good. I'll give you a couple of each, I think. And this is just my, my opinion. Uh, I don't know what people really <laughs> do or don't know. But, um, you know, people, people tend to think that Charpoles is a much larger business than it is. Um, I do most of the work day to day. I've got a couple people that, you know, help me out and uh, contract uh, quite a bit of work out and stuff. But yeah, it's a very, very small startup company. You know, we got a lot of exposure out of the gates and I think that propelled people's imagination to believe that we were huge. Um, but we're not. <laughs> we're small. Um, that's one thing about the company. Jeez, uh, me? Um I don't know if very many people really know that I tele-ski, um, but I'll give you something more interesting than that. I I mean, I prototype every single day, uh, and I design product every single day. And so, you know, I guess one of the things people really don't understand is um, how much, how much, like, true thought really goes into every Charcoal's product. You know, there's, like, the whiteboard, you know, hours and hours on end with whiteboards and then, 
uh, CAD and sketching and, um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, mean, I put a lot of a lot of time and effort goes into every single charcoal product, and that really is a variation, you know, separates us from our competition because, like I said, you know, I mean, you've probably realized years, I mean, most people handles have been the same for 20, 30 years. You, know, you can buy the same Scott handle that you bought 30 years ago. Right. And, and so um, there's a lot of reproducing in the ski industry, and we're really set on, you know, uh, the customize and innovate seg segments of that. Um, but the charcoals actually work fantastic as a tripod. So that might oh, be a cool, a cool fact. Yes, you know, nobody really thinks about that either. But if you stick the charcoal in the ground or snow or sand or dirt or whatever, that's what's kind of elevated our situation with GoPro and Sony. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't yeah. even think of that. I'm sure once I get it, I'll realize all the possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we're, we've actually patented and, and we're making a new product now for production next year that fits inside the handle, and it's basically a small tripod stand that you can put on the bottom of your pole, so then it will stand on any hard surface as well. Oh, awesome. That's pretty cool. What, what yeah. sort of production do you guys do? You mentioned that you guys are a smaller operation. What's uh, your yearly production? Uh, yearly production so far, well, it's, it's been through our other supplier. We haven't been able to make as many as we wanted, but last year we made and sold like 2,400 pairs of poles. Oh, nice. That's awesome. That's quite, quite a few, yeah. Um, but as far as production goes, I mean, we've got... We do all of our own injection molding. The company right next door makes all of our stainless steel parts. Um, so we'll, we'll get a pallet of those and bring them in, uh, stick them in our molds and make our parts right here. We do, we outsource packaging, um, but we still do all, all of the labor in-house for packaging. So uh, yeah, we do all of our plastic parts, all of our carbon fiber components come from a place about a mile away. So you know, it's a very tight proximity. We've got everything we need within you know a mile, most of it even within a block. So that's really awesome. Yeah, it's a really lean operation. You know, we can, uh, if we wanted to, we could make poles to order, literally. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, um, next question. What, what is your commitment to sustainable manufacturing? I know you've talked about this a little bit with bringing stuff back to the States, um, but just to touch on it, you know, a little bit further. Yeah, so I'm, I'm heavily dedicated, to be honest. Uh, I work with the Utah State government, and, um, you know, they actually have some funding that they've given us to help uh, continue our sustainable manufacturing. Uh, we're looking to, our new handle has an incorporated flask involved, and so there's uh, a lot of uh, due diligence, I suppose, that goes into finding the right plastic material for that component um, because right. it is going to be a, a food item. There's a lot of regulations we have to do. So, yeah, no, we're, you know, looking towards recycled plastics and um, all that stuff. It's now that we're working with a, the largest U.S. well, the largest plastic manufacturer in the world, really, but they're a U.S. company, you know, we can kind of try out new plastics whenever we feel like it. But sustainability is something that I both have to do and desire to do because, you know, it's uh, well, well, we all like the winters. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, what would you say the, the sort of culture um, exists in your organization, and how do you promote that, like the sort of mission of Char? It's, I would say, most of all, it's creative. Um, when I have a task that I need done, you know, I don't, I don't have time to put together a super detailed, you know, mock-up of the website, for say, for our software engineer. You know, I just say, dude, you grew up in the ski industry, you know, you're a skier, you know what skiers want, go for it. You know, if I have any tweaks or changes I want to make, like, we can talk about those, like, later. 
but uh, I want to see what you have, what you can put down first, you know? And so that's kind of my method of promoting it. I really, it's tough though, you know, because people need direction. Um, and so there's definitely a fine line of, you know, here is exactly what I need to happen. Um, now make it look cool, you know, or something like that. And I, I'm heavily involved with all the design on everything. And that's another way, you know, I provide direction is I'll say, you do you, but I'm sitting right here. Um, you know, and so it's really a collaborative. I, I, I'll be honest, I hate group thinking. It's like my least favorite thing in the entire world. Um, <laughs> but I'm a big fan of collaboration. And so, you know, I think with, uh, I try to keep a minimum, you know, of two people on a project, but at the same time, I never let it get above three. That's smart. That's smart. Next question. What's been the hardest part of starting your business? Um, well, for me, personally, it's manufacturing. Um, you know, now we've got it under our belt, but for the longest time, you know, I, would, I was losing sleep because I was staying up all night talking with our factories in China who really had no intention of, of um, I mean, they sent us product, but they sent it a year late, you know, um, so my biggest problem, and once again, you know, if I was if I was just buying, you know, Snuggies and putting my own logo on them and selling them, it wouldn't be a problem because I could buy the Snuggie from someone who is already making it. But with right. Apple, every everything we do is, is unique and custom, every single part. There are some parts that need or require to be universal, and those ones we source. Um, but for the most part, yeah, you know, it's, it's a struggle – uh, making something that's never been made before because there's a whole series of headaches and bumps along the road um, that you just don't even think about when you're, you know, you're going into it, getting involved in it. It's, uh, you know, and that's where the passion has to be strong because, <laughs> because you've got to be willing to, you know, put your whole paycheck into the company um, to keep the lights on for two weeks because you're that confident you're about to figure it out. You know, yep. and so uh, that's that's really, and you know, I'd say funding, financing uh, is also difficult, but that also goes into the supply chain thing. You know, any you can do anything with enough money. Everybody knows that. Um, <laughs> Donald Trump's making that really clear. But, yeah, right. um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a struggle because you're making something new and you've got to find a way to finance that as well. And production tooling is expensive, really expensive. So, um, yeah, that's, there's an inherent risk involved anytime you decide to make a new product, I guess, is, is really what it is. <laughs> making that's a, for sure. Making a new, a new product is the hardest part of it. Yeah, especially a physical product like yours that requires a lot of manufacturing, a lot of parts. Yeah. Well, and what it's done for me is given me a really high-level understanding of manufacturing, you know, processes, machines, uh, materials, you know, and... Uh, those are really the, the only things that go into any product. So. For sure. Uh, what would you say your greatest fear uh, is in regards to your business, and how do you manage it? <laughs> I don't know. I think I've already passed that one. You know, it's more, my, my greatest fear was a year ago when I was like, holy shit, we just sold a lot of polls, and, you know, I don't know when China's going to send them, if they're going to send them. Yeah, <laughs> that was, my biggest fear is always letting people down. Um, and... You know, I, I do everything in my power to make sure that I don't. Um, 
but it still happens, and uh, you know that's why it's my greatest fear because it's something that truly eats at me if if it goes on. Oh, I know what you mean. It's a you know I like the I like the saying you can't help others unless you're at your best, you know, and so um, you know you can't, you can't give others your best unless you're at your best. So you know, there are times where I got to take a step back and think about myself, but. What advice would you uh, give someone that wanted to start a business in action sports? Do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would <laughs> yeah, just start, you know. I would. I mean, I teach a class on this, really, um, but not specific to action sports. But, you know, the, the biggest thing is, I think, do, doing due diligence. You know, make sure you're not wasting your time. Um, storyboard out your business model and make sure that you can actually, that it's achievable. Because uh, some people don't realize, you know, some people get into business to run a company, you know, and that's their purpose. They want to have employees, they want to be the top dog, and if that's the reasons, you know, I take it back, don't do it, because you've got to have that passion. Um, but I, I always tell students, you know, and none of them like hearing this, it always shocks them, but people get into business to get out of business. That's just the reality of it. Um, you know, and you can get out of one business and jump right into another but people ultimately get into business to get out of business. And um, you've got to make sure that you have an exit strategy, I guess, is where the due diligence part comes in because, you know, and I'm guilty of it. I did not – I didn't do it this way. When I started, you know, I, I thought, oh, I'll make a ski pole. Everybody loves it. This will be great, you know. I didn't think right, a bit yeah. about importing it, exporting it, manufacturing it. Uh, packaging it, you know, SKU numbers, inventory, warehouse, employees, production, like, it just doesn't even cross your mind. Um, and I'm pretty glad that I, I didn't have all that on my mind because I don't know that I would have, I, I don't know that I would have been able to handle it. I probably would have been overwhelmed. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you got to make sure you can get out. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not, you know, you might as well yeah. sit at a desk all day. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, where do you see your business in the next year, next five years, next ten years? Hopefully everywhere. <laughs> um, uh, you know, lots of growth, lots of new products. Um, ISPO went fantastic for us. We're in discussions right now with um, distributors in 18 different countries throughout the oh, world. Wow. And so, yeah, so, you know, it. Kind of going back to the supply chain, uh, we've always had a, a substantial number of people looking to support the brand. Um, we just haven't had the product to back that up. So with our manufacturing now here, um, you know, we'll, we'll be doing some pretty hefty volumes and hopefully making an impact um, in the ski, ski pole industry. I'd, I'd like to see char poles um, represented by, you know, five five very progressive and uh, ski companies. Um, you know, I'd be, I'm very selective when it comes to the OEMing. There's, which our pools will be OEMing to a couple, you know, ski companies. We'll be selling our product, uh, our brand, you know, Charpool's branded product uh, throughout the world. And uh, we'll expand our athlete team, which is crazy to say because we already have so many freaking athletes. But um, we will, you know, it's a company for the industry, you know, I like to think that it's by the industry because our athletes are involved in product design and our athletes are involved with marketing. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, we're hopefully going to, you know, I'd like to take the same route as Armada and just stay true and 
hopefully one day be the largest e-pole manufacturer in the world. That's awesome. What would you say the best part of running your company is? The industry. <laughs> uh, I like I like being creative. I get bored really fast. And so mm-hmm. it's fun for me um, to be able to do so many different things my own way, but also have a fresh cycle of new things every single week um, for the most part, you know. Some things remain the same, but um, what I truly derive out of it is the creative process and doing something different. And I say creative when I mean like creating. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I literally didn't make something that, you know, with my hands or whatever that has never been made before. And so... That's that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's what drives me about that. That's pretty cool. All right, that was the last question, but I just have like one little follow-up. It's more so like a... You know, dynamic of your business. So you're the you're the uh, sole founder, correct? Yeah. Okay. And so what? You, and you you said you have a few contract sort of uh, employees. Yes. So can you yeah, kind of tell me the sort of like dynamic, like how the, the function of the organization? I guess what your roles are, so, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So there's myself, and then there's uh, another. Uh, one of, he's actually our first investor. I guess he could kind of be considered a founder in all reality. Um, his name's Maysam Mortaz V. Um, so he is our internal relations and shareholder. So he manages like all shareholder relations as well as like basically our in-house HR. Um, we have a double PhD uh, engineer. He's got a PhD in manufacturing design and a PhD in um, mechanical and electrical engineering. And so I actually got connected to him through the University of Utah. He's, he was one of my professors. Um, and so he now works for us. Uh, he's actually not a contract worker, though. He's part of the company. And he's our head of engineering. And then we have a mold maker, mold designer. Um, he's, the, he's actually the, formerly he's been the Black Diamond tool, tool maker. He still does that. But he left Black Diamond for the most part. I think he only works there one day a week now. But he, you know, he makes all our molds. Um, I have a production manager who runs all the production. Um, he's a little bored right now, but you know, he's busy with a hammer and nails. So, uh, he'll, you know, he'll have a pretty big and very important job, you know, in a week or two. But he does, he basically is in charge of all of our raw materials, inventorying, production times, machine maintenance, um, quality control, uh, packaging, and then also, you know, the final product inventory. So. And we inventory everything on the front end when we receive it as far as raw materials, and then we re-inventory everything, of course, um, before it gets shipped out. So That's awesome. Yep, that's kind of his job. And then there's a, we've got a marketing uh, marketing manager who's um, going to be starting with us in about a week, again, just because of the ski season. You know, our, our peak is kind of – he's been out of town and stuff, but our peak marketing season is really in about two months. Right. Yep. That's awesome. So you guys have got a pretty sizable crew. It's a good crew, you know, it's pretty yeah. small and they all, they all have other things that they do. This is mostly, right, a, right, right. you know, I, I kind of ask them to be here three days a week. So it'll probably, uh, you know, it'll get busier, I'm sure. But of course we've got our, our software engineer as well. Sorry, I can't forget him. He, he's a very vital part of the team, does all of our website. He's, uh, does some video, does, uh, he's actually does audio recording as well. And then, um, he's writing some code for us right now for, uh, product. Charcoal product that actually has some electrical integrations. Oh, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah.
Hey Ready Any Podcast listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Any Podcast. I'll catch you next week.